Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. It is the Heavenly Father's desire for His children to live with the full assurance regarding our relationship with Him. I am often saddened, stricken with the burden of the amount of preachers and teachers, fellow brothers and sisters that will declare someone in one moment to be in Christ And then, the very next moment, make them unsure of their standing. The Father in heaven wants you as His child to be sure. And not just sure, but fully assured. Paul was fully persuaded. Can I hear an amen? He wasn't halfway persuaded. He was fully persuaded. God the Father wants His children to have a full assurance that we are His children and that we do have the promise of eternal life. The promise to live forever with Him in a right relationship with Him. We see this reflected in scriptures such as Colossians 2 and verse 2. The Apostle Paul says, My goal is that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and obtaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding. Notice that. There is a full assurance of understanding. You know why that's so important? Because Jesus made it clear in Matthew 13, there is no kingdom fruit without understanding. I wonder if the reason why those that have understanding, some bear 30, some bear 60, some bear 100 fold. I wonder if the 100 fold folk is because they have a full assurance. I wonder if the 30-fold folk is just people who have assurance, but not full assurance. But we know without understanding, there is no fruitfulness according to Jesus. Paul said, my goal is that you and I, even today, just like he told the church there in Colossae, would obtain, that means it's available, and yet it hasn't necessarily been received or experienced by them. The full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Paul is clear he wanted believers to obtain to this full assurance of understanding. This presents a question for you and I that are here today, those that are streaming live and listening later to the podcast. It presents a practical question for you and I. How are we moved from the place of being assured to the experience of being fully assured? I believe that some of you, just through the several weeks that we've been in this series, have, through the authority of Scripture and the clear conviction and witness of God's Spirit through Scripture, had a stirring again in your assurance. But today the Holy Spirit would want to encourage us to not stop there just with an assurance, but to allow Him to move us to a full assurance. But how?
how do we move to that place? Well, as we established in part one of inside out and outside in, every time I say it, I feel like I'm about to go in a wrap. I'm about ready to get in my flow. I was talking, I was talking to my wife last night driving home. I said, man, every time I say it, I'm about ready to just let loose. Call Lecrae and Andy Mendenow and say, I'm ready. Where you want me to show up? I still got some baggy jeans from high school. I'll bring them back for the glory of God. But it's going to start from the inside, from our spirit man. Someone say our spirit man. It's going to start on the inside, but then the assurance is to be protected from the outside in. I didn't know this growing up. I grew up in a church culture that basically once you did sort of the formula, I mean, it didn't matter if you went and burnt down churches. You were good. I mean, they made it sound like just don't worry about anything anymore. But the scripture's clear that assurance starts from the inside out, but if you want to have a full assurance, you're going to have to learn to guard it from the outside in. And this result results in an experience of full assurance. Now this brings us back to our text today, our main text, 1 John 3.18. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth, and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. The first thing we need to see is children. Someone say children. Children. John is speaking to children of God. He's not speaking to half-children of God. He's not speaking to people who can have assurance one day they're children, but the next day they wake up and they're not sure. He's speaking to children of God. Those that have been born of God. He speaks of that in 1 John 3, 9. Those who now are already children of God. He speaks of that in 1 John 3, 1 and 2. Those who have believed in the love of God for them as revealed through the coming of the Son of God and Him laying down His life for them. He speaks of that in 1 John 3.16 and 1 John 5.20. Then John has an exhortation. But listen, you can't miss this or you get left behind in the message today and the trip we're taking following the Spirit of God. John's exhortation is based on this fact that they are already children of God. And because they're already children of God, John exhorts them that they would not love in word and tongue only, but in deed and in truth. He says, children, now let's talk about in deed and in truth. He says, listen, I want to see a love demonstrated in your life. I want to see a love that's not just talked about, that's not just Instagram, that's not just Facebook, that swipe right on Instagram and Twitterize, but I want to see a love manifested. A love manifested by deeds, a love manifested by actions, and it performed in truth. In what truth, John? This is powerful. In the truth that they are already children of God. John says, I want to see love demonstrated, love manifested by actions, by clear behaviors by clear fruit and evidence, 
but it's actions done in truth, the truth of already knowing you're a child of God. Listen, it's not actions and behaviors done with the desire to become a child of God. See, that's religion. It's not coming to gatherings. It's not being a part of a community. It's not giving financially. It's not reading scripture. It's not giving to the poor. It's not serving the needy in hopes of becoming a child of God. No, this is love manifested in deeds and actions in truth that you already are a child of God. He says, I want some love showing up on the outside of your life because you are the body of Christ. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are members of His body. You are the instrument of God upon the earth to be a blessing to those around you. See, this is such an important point John adds. When he says in truth, this is John's way of saying this is not a form of outward religion without the inward witness of the Spirit. This is not a form of godliness without the inward witness that you are already of a child of God. These are deeds done in love, in truth, in the truth of the witness that you're already a child of God. You're not trying to outdo performance outwardly to prove to yourself you're a child of God or to become a child of God. This is love motivated with the awareness and the consciousness that you're already a child of God. If we could get a, a, a church here, if we could get just a handful of people or just get a group of people that were secure in their identity in Christ, that they didn't find guilt and find a false motivation to want to come to the gathering, to want to attend connect groups, to want to give and be a blessing to those in the community. But they, in truth, already knew their children of God. They already had an awareness of the joy of their salvation. They're already excited that they're a part of the family of God. And in celebration and just in joy of who they already are, that love just overflows out of them, not out of obligation, but out of celebration that the gospel has reached them. Can I hear an amen? Oh, my goodness. He says, listen, these are deeds and actions that are flowing from the inside out. Done with the truthful witness of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth who cannot lie, that we are children of God. Do you remember what we saw? Romans 8 and 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. These are deeds done with the inward witness, done in sincere faith. Then here in our main text, John speaks about the result of such love being manifested in our lives. He says, children, he says, indeed and in truth. And then he says, and by this, we know. Now this isn't a mental knowledge. This isn't like we know who the mayor of our city is or the president of the United States. No, no, this is like a man knows his wife. This is intimate, acquainted, experiential knowledge. He says, children, indeed and in truth, and by this. By what? By loving not just in word only, but in deed and in truth. By this, by the inward witness given by the spirit of truth with our spirit. And also by this, the outward witness of love and action. The, and by this you know is the inside out and outside in. 
by this, the inward witness of the Spirit of God to your spirit, and by the outward witness of that love revealed in deed and in action through you, you know something. By the inward witness of love received, and by the outward witness of love matured, we experientially know that we are of the truth and set aside. By the inward witness of love received, and by the outward witness of love matured, we experientially know that we are of the truth. Let me talk to you about this knowing that John says shall assure our hearts. This experiential knowledge assures our heart. See, this is more than just the witness in your spirit. This is an assurance that fills your heart. An assurance that we are of the truth and are a child of God. John said we can have hearts set at rest and peace. You know, I think about, I'm sure we've all had it at times, but I think about a restless night of sleep. Sometimes when you have that restless night of sleep, you can do everything. You can try everything. You can try every angle of your head on the pillow. You can try pillow between the knees. You can try a second fan, a third fan. But sometimes when it's just a restless night, you can't get no sleep. And I think about the picture of a restless night of sleep, of how that picture so often looks like so many believers out there. They are just so restless in a bad way about their relationship with the Father. And when you are personally so restless, it's very difficult to look up and look out to a world that is restless, hurting, and needing for the love of God to be manifested to them. This is why the Heavenly Father wants to bring you to this place of full assurance. Full assurance. This is what John's talking about. John said we can have hearts set at rest and at peace about the matter of hand. Hearts that are settled, hearts that are secure, hearts that are fully persuaded of full assurance. Look at this, 1 John 3, 19, And by this we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before Him. This is powerful. This is an assurance before people. This is an assurance before a peer. This is an assurance that comes from measuring yourself amongst yourselves. That's not wise. This is an assurance that you can have before Almighty God, your Creator. The one who sees all things, knows all things. The word assure, it means to persuade and set at rest. The Father wants you to be moved to a place where your heart has full persuasion, it is persuaded and set at rest. See, the truth of the matter is, is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who bears witness to His work of regeneration in our spirit, also continues to work towards us bearing His witness to the world. I'm going to say it again. So much of Christianity is presented in our country They present it as a man and a woman getting married, going before people, 
everybody's seeing a marriage happen, and then after the marriage, they turn and they both go their separate ways and live their own life. When we get regenerated, that's just the start of what God wants to do in us and through us. That's just now entrance into a kingdom that's at hand. A kingdom that is advancing by mercy and loving kindness and through the sufferings of his saints that Christ would be manifested in many ways to many people. Meaning this, the Holy Spirit who bears the witness in our spirit that we've been born again regenerated, he then continues to work towards us bearing his witness to the world. That our life would be a witness to those around us about Jesus, that he is Lord, he is King. He has all authority and all power of all nations about his identity, about his accomplishment, about his victory. A witness, not in word and tongue only, but a witness in deed and in truth that manifests the kingdom of God. That's not word only, but in power, in a demonstration that Jesus has came and he was manifested to take away my sin and our sin and your sin, that Jesus has the grace and the power to purify us, to purge us by grace, to make us zealous for good works. Hallelujah. That he came to destroy the works of the devil. That as believers, we don't have to stay in bondage. We don't have to stay in poverty mentalities. We don't have to stay dependent on substance abuse and pop pills and, and, and hide in dysfunction. But Jesus is king and he's Lord and he's compassionate and he's got more grace than you could ever need. And he's here today to deliver, to make whole, to deliver, to restore and to fuel us with the power of his spirit for a witness to the world around us. Can I hear an amen? John speaks of this type of knowing experientially and having assurance in our hearts. Also in 1 John 4, 12 and 13. Notice what he says. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And His love has been perfected in us. By this we know. By this we become experientially set in knowing. Watch this, what? That we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. John says we know, we are assured because He's given us His Spirit who witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God. We've been talking about that. But also, we know because we are loving others not just in tongue but in deed and in truth. Why? Because... His love has been perfected in us. This knowing experientially that we are of the truth and that assures our hearts before God is referred to here by John as His love has been perfected in us. What does that mean? It means that His love that started in our spirit through regeneration has now been completed in us in an area. It means His love has ran its course in an area of your life. That the love you receive is now able to flow out of you to be received by others. It's like the old saint said, the gospel reached me just on the way to someone else. It don't end with me. The love of God that you experience don't end with you. 
everything God has done in you, He wants it to be multiplied through you. I think I'm in the right place today called Dwelling Place Movement that believes that Jesus Christ and His finished work by the power of the Holy Spirit wants to see believers, leaders, and churches multiplied around the nations of the earth. Am I in the right place today? That when God snatched you from hell and your dysfunction and your sin and He poured His love in your heart, that He wants that love to run its course through you to show up on the outside of you. See, it is extremely difficult to have the experience of a full assurance without experiencing a full salvation. Here's the point. That's what I didn't know growing up. You know why it's so easy for the devil to begin to put doubt in my heart and mind, though I grew up in the church and I'm in middle school now and high school and I've confessed Jesus as Lord and I'm looking around at people that have no knowledge of God, no relationship with the King of glory, Jesus Christ, and they seem to be more joyful, more at rest than me. It was very easy for the devil to take what my natural eyes and what my natural observation seemed to interpret and began to use that to drive a wedge in my understanding, to drive a wedge in my practice, to drive a wedge in my pursuit. Because it's very difficult to experience a full assurance without experiencing a full salvation. What do I mean? I mean the love of God that's been poured out in your spirit through regeneration, allowing that love to start being molded, pressed, and grafted into your soul. You began to have God who is love, His thoughts and your thoughts. His affections and desires forming your affections. His will for His glory and for reaching others formed in your being. It's very difficult, very difficult to experience a full assurance without allowing God to intervene with our soul. See, I took my oldest daughter last February on a Valentine's Day becoming pretty cool because she looks forward to it every year. The good thing right now is she thinks that's like the only time I can take her on a date. So that saves my, my billfold. That's good right now. Don't tell her. She's not here today. Don't tell her that. She's back. But we took her for a date and one of the places I took her had seeds because she likes gardening and being outside. And I said, baby girl, what, what do you want to buy? Well, one of the things she wanted to buy, she bought to, uh, tomatoes. Tomato seeds. About four plus months ago, we planted that seed in soil. Now we have the experience of harvesting those tomatoes coming up. What does that mean? It means what was planted in the soil, the process has now become completed because there's a harvest. Others can see it. Others can benefit from it. Others can taste and see that the Lord is good. Is this not the same for God's work of salvation? That God planted His love in you called Jesus Christ. That's why He says you've received the seed of God in 1 John 3. But that love Christ planted in you, the Lord wants a harvest to show up on the outside of you that becomes a love manifested to others. Now listen, this is why all of a sudden John says no one at any time has seen God. 
gets fixed. What's he saying? He's saying, don't think a person who grew up in a home where only hell is present. Because there's no family that has a covenant with God. There's dysfunction. There's strife and drunkenness and just absolute fruits of the work of hell in people's hearts. Brokenness. Don't think someone like that is just going to walk around and believe in a God. He says, no one on their own at any time has seen God. What is he saying to us? He's saying, if people are going to see God, it's only if we, it's only if I, it's only if you let the love of God that was planted in us become complete in us so that it's de demonstrated out of us to others. See, I've been in places where it was difficult seasons and my own desire and affection to deal with my dysfunction wasn't enough to motivate me to get in the secret place, to deal with the hurts of my past, the residue of my old life that's been crucified with Christ. But you know one of the things God gives you to help you be motivated to stay in the secret place and let the love of God start being molded in your soul. He has the groanings and the questions and the doubts and the hurts of people around you that will start getting your ear. He'll lead you in places to see people that are going through way more than you've been through that are in the place of just depression. And it is that need of seeing that unless I let the love of God mature in me, that person will never see God in their path through this broken age. Oh, that's a motivation. So you know why a lot of people never stay at the gym all year? Because their motivation is about them. It's just about them. But if you can find motivation that's not just rooted in you, but rooted in care for others, it's another motivation that can get you. People are going to see God. It's only if we, here's the thing, let the love of God be perfected that we go through it inside out and outside. John says, by this, by this, by this, by love becoming complete in an area of our life. By His Spirit that He's given us. By this, the same things we've been talking about, the inward witness of the Spirit of truth and the outward witness of your loving deeds. By this, the inward witness and the outward witness of your loving deeds. By this, we know. We have hearts assured. Hearts fully at rest and at peace. I'll never forget when God really began to deal with me to grow me in kingdom living, missional living. At the time, Michelle and I were serving at a very large church, and it was a church that whether me and her ever invited someone to the community of believers, it didn't matter because we knew there would be people there to, to pastor and minister to. Whether we ever lived missional out in the community didn't matter because we knew there would still be thousands there at the ministry we're a part of. I remember when God began to deal with me and stir with me because my heart wasn't at rest with some things. But I got to the place where I had to accept that if you want to see change in America, if you want to see change in the community, you want to see others see God, it starts with me. It starts with you. Allowing the seed of Christ, the love of God that I've received, grow and become complete and perfected in areas of my life so that it can be demonstrated on the outside of me. That I don't just talk about what God wants to do in America, but I walk it out. That I don't just say that the Spirit of God wants to do it. I become an example and say, 
follow me as I follow Christ. I want to tell some of you that if you'll let the love of God start persuading and working in your soul, that the family you've just been talking to, once they see that love demonstrated outwardly through you, they're coming to Christ, baby. The love of God and the conviction of the Spirit's going to reach them because they know your past. They know what you've been in and been through. And they say, oh my gosh, look at the grace of God that has ran its course in your life. We know. We know what, don't we? Well, here he uses a phrase we haven't looked at yet. We know that we abide in Him and He in us. Everybody say abide. Now go back to our original text, 1 John 3.18. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth, and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if, notice how John then continues, for if our heart condemns us, that means it's possible as a child of God for your heart to condemn you. God is greater than our heart, and He knows all things. Verse 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. What that means is as a child of God, our heart can condemn us, and we don't have much confidence toward God. Now let me ask you, are you going to walk in an unsettled world, in an unconfident world, with confidence if you don't have confidence toward God? If we're going to have confidence, of God's love and care towards others, we're going to have to first get settled in our confidence with Him. Notice John continues by speaking about our heart condemning us and that our heart condemning us affects our confidence toward God. You know why so many people can attend churches for 10 years, 20 years and never ask God to do anything big that would give Him so much glory, that would astound others around us of His goodness, His compassion, and His mercy, and His love manifest in our life? Because of right here, a heart that's condemning them affects their confidence toward God. Now let me ask you, what is the opposite of a heart assured and at rest? A heart condemning us. You want to know the opposite of what a heart assured and fully persuaded and at rest looks like? It's a heart condemning us. John speaks about this in 1 John 2.28. Notice what he says. And now little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. What's John saying? John says it's possible for children, children of God, that matter's settled, but to be ashamed before him at his coming. What's connected to that? He tells us. John says that our abiding in him is directly related to us being able to have confidence before him now, someone say now, and when he returns. And that abiding in Him is direct, directly related to not being ashamed before Him now, someone say now, and at His coming. So listen, this speaks to the question we started with. How we are moved from the place of being assured to the experience of being fully assured. It's between believing the love of God for us and manifesting that love by deeds to others is abiding in Him. Between believing God's love for you and being perfected in that love is knowing experientially such love. What does it mean to know experientially? It means after you've been a child of God, but then you went through a difficulty. 
a difficult relationship or you went through a hardship that in the moment of trial and suffering, God's love you experience by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now it's not just the love that's way out in heaven. You've now followed Jesus through some mountaintops and some valleys and you've experienced that love. You've become persuaded that even on your worst days, He still loves you. That even on the victorious mountaintop days, it's only because it's love that made that victory possible. You become experienced in that love. That's why Jesus said in the New Testament, we don't love others as we love ourselves. We love as He's loved us. You know why there's less love in communities? It's because you have people that stop following the Lord so they don't experience His love through hardships, through difficulties circumstances. Listen, between having the witness of the Holy Spirit that you are a, a child of God and experiencing a heart fully assured is abiding in Him. Between the inward witness of the Holy Spirit and the outward witness of love made complete in your life is abiding in Him. Between you telling people you have become a child of God and manifesting the behaviors of being a child of God is abiding in Him. Between you inwardly being made righteous through the new birth and outwardly practicing righteousness is abiding in Him. I think we're starting to see that abiding in Him is a key. Listen, we don't practice righteousness to become righteous. We practice righteousness because we have been made righteous. Righteous just as Jesus because He is our righteousness. We've often heard in the context of sports, practice makes perfect. But in the context of the gospel, it is in essence the perfect makes the practice. It's the perfect work of Christ received on the inside of us, thus recreating our spirit man to be perfect, complete in salvation, that makes for practicing righteousness a reality. It's only from the inside out, then from the outside in. And between the inside work of Christ in regeneration and the outside work of your kingdom assignment is abiding in Him. Some of you are so concerned about the assignment Jesus has for you and spiritual gifts and where you're to put your hands on the plow. I tell you, you don't need to be worried over it. If you abide in Him, you'll find yourself walking right into the good works that He's planned beforehand that you walk in when you were born again, Ephesians 2.10. John has spoken about abiding in Him and its importance. And because John has spoken about abiding in Him and its importance, John helps us define practically what abiding in Him looks like so that we may have a confidence before Him, so that we would not be experience shame at His coming. Now what does He say? Well, look at this, 1 John 3, 24. He tells us what abiding looks like. Therefore, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Now this is powerful. John tells us that if you let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning, that equals you also abiding in the Son and in the Father. What's he talking about? This is another picture of the gospel. That you being able to abide in Him 
is only possible because what? He first brought you into himself. Like we love because what? He first loved us. This is the gospel. That all initiative for change, all fruit, all actions, all practice in our life all stem first from God's work for us and in us. But John speaks about the myrole factor. You have to let what you heard abide in you. He tells us. So the first thing, practically, I want you to leave with today of what abiding in him looks like is let what you have heard abide in you. Why do you think John would talk about letting what they had heard abide in them? Because one of the purposes of why the apostle John wrote this letter is because there were false believers. There was false teachers in the early church. They were called Gnostics. They were seeking to deceive believers from what they had already received and known. They were saying a lot of things. They were talking a lot of talk. And John says, listen, you have to abide in him. And abiding in him means you have to abide in what you've heard from the beginning. John tells them and reminds them of what they heard from the beginning. What did they hear about God? You see it on the card. God is light. 1 John 1.5 There's no darkness in him at all. Meaning they were trying to deceive people about who God is. It's happening in our day. People, they take one little blip of scripture, God is love, and then they want to define what that love is. The problem is the rest of the epistle and the rest of scripture defines what love is. And love is not anything goes. Love was demonstrated by Jesus taking a cross for you and I, meaning this, God is light, God is holy, and there is still sin and right and wrong. This is what John is telling believers. Gnostics were teaching that there is no more sin. Don't worry about what you practice. Don't worry about what you do now that you're a believer. This is what... Jude and others warned about people turning the grace of God into lavishness as a license to sin. But the Bible says grace is given that we would in love be able to serve one another. He says sin is lawlessness. This is what you've heard about God. And that he's promised his children eternal life. But then he says also what you've heard about Jesus. Let that abide in you because they were distorting who Jesus was. John says in 1 John 2.22, he's the Christ. He's the anointed one. He is the one that scriptures for three thousands of years previously have been foretold that he would come. He's the expected one. Expect no other. He's the same one that will return again. He is the anointed one, the one anointed by God to bring in the kingdom and to make provisions for all men to become right with the Father. He's the son of the Father, 1 John 2.23. He came in the flesh, a human body like ours, 1 John 4, 1 through 3. They were saying he didn't have a real body like us. And here's a big thing. They were getting confused why he came. Because Gnostics were trying to say it don't matter how you live. John says, wait a minute, 1 John 3, 5, Jesus was manifested to take away our sins. If sin's not a big issue, then why did he come to take away our sins? If how we live is not a big issue, why did Jesus come to take away our sins? He was manifested to deal with our sin, to cleanse us, to purify us. That God's a consuming fire and He can burn any dysfunction out of our life. It doesn't matter how long the bondage has been there, how long the desire has been there, how long the affection has been there. God is a holy consuming fire and He can purify the darkness of sin out of our life. 
He can make us purified so that we can be zealous for good works. John says, don't forget. You know why else Jesus Christ came? 1 John 3, 8. He was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. There is a devil. There is sin. There is right and wrong. Jesus came to deal with such things. Then John says, you want to abide in Christ? You've got to abide in what you've heard about relationship. He says in 1 John 1, 6, we cannot walk in darkness and at the same time fellowship with God. I assure you, if I cussed out my wife, never happened by the grace of God. If I cussed out my wife, I can assure you, our fellowship is going to take a back seat for a while. We still marry, we still have a relationship, but our intimacy is greatly affected. John's saying, wait a minute, you can't go practice walking in sin and darkness because Jesus came to deliver us from sin. Sin's a big deal. It robs you. People get people all the time, you know, when they get around pastors, they try to hide and act like they don't have issues. And we're like, you don't understand. We know you have issues because we have issues. You know what I'm saying? It, we're all in this journey of being sanctified in soul. And sometimes they're like, oh, if you knew. No, listen. I don't want sin in your life to make me feel better. I don't want sin in your life because I know it robs you from God's best. I know what God's trying to do in you, and I know you can't experience joy in the fruit of His kingdom practicing such things. He also says in 1 John 2, 5, we cannot say we love God and not keep His commandments. What else have we heard about relationships? John says from the very beginning He commanded us to love. 1 John 2, 7 through 11. What does that mean? From the very beginning, hate and racism is sin. From the very beginning, we've heard that in our relationships with one another, that's any other human, we're to have love for them. And then he said, you know what you heard about a relationship? Let's talk about the relationship with the world. It does matter. In Noxus, we're saying no, enjoy the world. Just enjoy the pleasures 1 John 2, 15-17, he said, no, 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 listen, loving the world displaces love for the Father. This is why in 1 John 2, 19, he said, listen, there's some people that went out from the community of believers, but they were not of us. Look at that. How do we know they weren't of us? Because they did not abide in what they heard from the beginning. Therefore, you can't abide in him. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made a manifest that none of them were of us. Jesus said, by them their fruits, you will know them. He said in 2 John 9, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Here's what John's saying. Do you know why letting what you heard abide in you is so important? Because what you believe determines what you live. You believe sin don't matter anymore? You no longer believe what you heard about God, that He's set apart, He's holy, He can never sin? He would never tempt you to sin? He would never desire you to sin because sin destroys? John cares because he knows what you believe determines what you live. Seeds of thought determines the harvest of actions. And Paul, at the end of his epistle in Ephesians 6, he says, after done all, after you've been born again, 
after you've received the love that God has for you through Jesus Christ and you've allowed that love to mature in you that you're not just loving in word but in deed and in truth after done all guess what Paul says has to happen you want to keep the experience of full assurance he says in Ephesians 6 17 and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God it's amazing notice it's not sandals of salvation notice it's not a belt of salvation Notice it's not a breastplate of salvation. It's a helmet of salvation. Because to live with full assurance, it starts from the inside out. But listen, it's got to be guarded from the outside in. There's going to be false teachers like there were from the beginning. There's going to be antichrist like there was from the beginning. There's going to be the spirit of the world that's against the love of the Father like there was from the beginning. And John says, if you want to abide in Christ that you may bear much fruit, that the Father would be glorified, you're going to have to understand it starts from the inside out, but it's got to be guarded from the outside in from your mind. Take heed. Least anyone deceive you and take your full reward. It's got to be guarded from the outside in. Because John knew if they began to allow their mind to accept the false teachings of the Gnostics that sin and how they live no longer mattered, he knows that it's going to affect their walk. And if it affects their walk, no one at any time has seen God meaning the community that God planted in them will never come to see and know the goodness of God because Christ lives in his body and if he's not manifested through you and I he's not going to be manifested to those that are hurting that's never known the hope and the goodness of the gospel so this leads us to practically number two let how Jesus walked be the example for how you walk John says this is what abiding looks like you abide and what you've heard about God, about Jesus, about relationships, and then you walk as Jesus walked. How did Jesus walk? Did He say it didn't matter what you did with your body? Did He say it doesn't matter what kind of relationships you had with others? Did He say it didn't matter if you lived for the world instead of the Father? How did Jesus walk? One of the best things you can ever ask yourself to guard yourself from error is really, what did Jesus If you can't envision Jesus doing it. He says in 1 John 2, 6, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now that's a big framework because, okay, I'm to walk as he walked, but what does that mean? How did Jesus walk? He summarizes it in his gospel of John. It's beautiful. Watch this. In John 15, 10, he defines how Jesus walked. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Watch this. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. How did Jesus walk? He walked in obedience to the Father. How do you abide in fellowship with the Spirit? You obey your Father's commands. What the Father leads you to do, you walk accordingly, dependent on the Spirit in that. This is what He called in 1 John 1, 7, abiding in the light. You abide in you practice the light of revelation 
and spiritual understanding God has given you to this point. This is how the kingdom advances. Jesus said to the measure you have, to the measure you use, what you have will determine if he'll give you more. You know why some people camp out in the wilderness for 10 years and 15 years as born-again believers? Because they're not using and practicing the light and the measure they already have. But if you'll use the measure you have, he'll give you more measure. He'll work in other areas of your life. Favor hits you in other areas. He'll begin to touch and heal and restore other areas. And then he said this. How what else did Jesus do? He abided in his love by loving others. Walking as Jesus walked means if God's your Father, you now have a born-again spirit that only longs to do what the Father wants you to do. Paul said in Romans 7, 22, I and my inward man delight in God's command and law for me. And he said also, did Jesus have a hope of returning to the Father? Absolutely. John 13 says that's why he was able to wash the feet of others. He was settled. He knew he came from God. He knew he was going back from God. And in between, he knew that the Father gave him all he needed to serve others. And it's the same for you and I. That when you obey the Father and you live in this confidence of loving others, you have a hope to return to your Father. That this is not your country. That you are born from above. There's a heavenly country that you're not here to represent. Even the city of Woodstock or America, you're here to represent a kingdom, a kingdom of God. You're here to represent a heavenly country that is based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ and true justice and mercy and the Bible says this hope causes us to embrace the process of purifying our soul how we think, how we desire our emotions and that's why to have full assurance you need to experience the full salvation you have to embrace the process of the purification of your soul listen to me, if you're born again your spirit has been saved, past tense but your soul is being saved and your body will be saved at his return. That's why he says your soul needs to be purified. James 1 says you have to allow the word of God, Christ, in your spirit to get engrafted into your soul. That's why Paul in Galatians 4.19 said it's Christ formed in you. It's able to deliver your soul. And why is that important? Because love can't become complete if it keeps running into obstacles in your soul that say no, Lord. Not your will, but my will. Say, why do I want to embrace this purification process? I'll tell you why. Because God only deals with the negative because he's got a positive for you. God only deals with the residue of the hurt and the overflow of your previous life of sin because he's got a better life that would cause you to be fulfilled in him and others to come to know him. I can tell you that on the other side of the purification, on the other side of being in the secret place and waiting until God touches areas that no one knows about and his holy fire purifies you from dysfunction, I can tell you on the other side that there is a joy that though there might be weeping in the night joy will come in the morning I can tell you from a testimony of my life that if I knew in the years of sorrow and suffering what I walk in and experience now in fellowship with the Lord I would have complained less I would have humbled myself and I would have rejoiced and praised God and said though this is for a season it's only a season but God's got a perfect reason for what you're going through here's the result, here's another benefit as the band comes, 1 John 2, 5 but whoever keeps his word, I want to tell you it's whoever. I don't care how long inferiority and insecurities told you that you can't have full assurance, that you can't experience God's best, that you can't experience a life that glorifies the Father. I'm telling you, whoever keeps his word, whoever means you, whoever means me, whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this, we know by experience that we are in him. 
We know that we're in Him. We know that we're abiding in Him. And the results is being fully assured. Hearts at rest. Fully persuaded. Assurance starts on the inside. But full assurance is experienced as love is lived on the outside. Why not let that love live loudly? Like Paul told the Thessalonians, that the Word of God has sounded forth through you. May the Word of Christ sound forth through your life, through your business, through your marriage, through your relationships, through your walk. I pray that the love would be so loud in this community that there's not a person that can encounter us, that we wouldn't be by manifestation the aroma of life and the aroma of death to some. That there would be a clear presentation of Jesus Christ, the bread of life, the hope of the nations. That there would be a visible display that God is love and God is truth. And Jesus came to give us grace and truth. May He be manifested in you and through you like never before. Therefore, having done all, may you stand and guard your experience from the outside with the helmet of salvation. You put on each morning the helmet of salvation. You put it on. You turn aside from the lies of the world, the lies of the enemy, and you stay rooted and abiding in Him. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.